Good morning, Emmanuel and City of Light and Cornerstone West Loop. We're continuing on in our shared sermon series on the prophet Jeremiah. God wants us back. If I haven't met you before, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone, and I'm just so thrilled to be with you today. There's a YouTube video that came out about mid-April titled, Every COVID-19 Commercial is Exactly the Same. I don't know if you saw that YouTube video or just watched TV during the month of March or April, but what it did is it spliced together the 30 or so brands that basically created the same commercial. And this is the commercial. It starts with slow, somber piano music, dignifying this difficult moment. And it, it moves on to the founding story of the company. When we first opened our doors or we started in 1912, and as you see B-roll stock footage, because of course they couldn't film something new, you hear, we have always been there. And as the piano continues and you see images of empty streets and stadiums, you hear in these challenging times or in these uncertain times or in these unprecedented times, we are here to help. And a picture of the kind worker moves to pictures of the product right when they commit to you especially now, even now, humanizing the relationship, saying together, together, as family, we'll get through this. We're in this together. We will rise above. And somber music speeds up as other instruments are added to the piano. And then one person starts to clap, followed by another, followed by people in their balconies, standing and cheering. And as the musical climax ends, you see Toyota, MasterCard, Budweiser, it's, it's pretty hilarious seeing them side by side, but you got to imagine those Zoom marketing meetings in March when everyone was saying, all right, well, our plans are shot for the year. What do, what do we do now? Right? What, what is it that people need now? Well, well, people need a sense of togetherness, a story of stability. They need humanity right now in a moment where we don't feel human. They need predictability. They need hope. So, so let's show that our brand, our company, we're stable that we're for you, that we're together in this with you, that we'll be there for you in the future when this is over, that this, this actually might be going somewhere good. Something good might come from this. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that God is the new and better Toyota. Amen? Oh, he's the new and better MasterCard. He is the new and better Budweiser. That's right. Our God is the new and better American brand. And, and uh, we may poke fun at these brands in retrospect because their ads were cliche and they all did the same thing. But there's a reason that they all did the same thing. Right? There's a reason why, why, why that commercial came about. It's because we actually really want that commercial we actually really like watching that commercial. We, we, we all want to return to predictability, to stability, to have a story that includes us, to not be isolated or forgotten. But those commercials have stopped, and perhaps it's also because we've started to wonder, will it all be okay because Toyota's family stretches across the nation? You know, how, how together can I be with you, really, Enterprise? And Aldi, are you going to... I'm not going to say anything bad about Aldi. I love Aldi. But in today's text, the living God says to Israel, there is hope for your future. 
He says that line straight up, there is hope for your future. And I wonder how it is that you're hearing that word of hope right now. Because some of us, we're ready to cling. We're just ready to cling to any word of hope right now. You know, tell me something that makes me just feel like it's going to get better. Actually, don't, don't make me think too hard about it because I, I really don't want it to be wrong. Just tell me it's going to get better than this. Some of us are responding the exact opposite. We don't want to hear that word of hope. We're pretty cynical when someone is proclaiming a word of hope because we think maybe they're just capturing the opportunity rather than saying something that's honest. And some of us, we hear hope and we especially, we hear that there's going to be a sermon on hope at church and we're worried. Is this, um, is this sentimentalized hope? The kind of hope that Jeremiah says preaches peace when there is none, that's ignoring death around us, that's ignoring systemic racial injustice, that so often the church has been complicit in. Don't, don't give me hope if you're ignoring the gravity of the pain and wrongdoing around you. This text this morning is reverberating with the truth that we do have hope. You can think hard about it and examine it, and you can take that to the bank. We do have hope, not because it's what we want, but precisely because God's honest to who he has always been. We have hope from the God who will by no means clear the guilty, but also who never will forget his people when they call on him. We have hope because God's everlasting Love continues. Truly, he is the new and better American brand. Amen. He fulfills the longings that those brands show. So if you would open in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31, where we'll be looking at this morning, 26 whole verses on Jeremiah 31. We started out with Jeremiah 1, Father Aaron taught um, on the first chapter of this young prophet hearing a word from the Lord, kind of this, this word where God says to him, I'm going to give you words, Jeremiah. I'm going to give you words that are going to change nations. I'm going to give you a word for your nation, words that actually pluck up and overthrow, that destroy. But I'm also going to give you words that plant and that Build. I'm going to give you words that show destruction is coming from the north. The Babylonian army is going to come. And, and it seems like, you know, for the first half of Jeremiah, and honestly the last half, it just seems like it's a lot of plucking up and destroying. Right? Jeremiah makes it really clear what Israel has done that's wrong. They've been unfaithful. They've worshipped idols. We've been talking about that. And, and Jeremiah is clear it's really, really bad. The consequences for that are really bad. Jeremiah says the whole land shall become a ruin and waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. The Lord has prepared a cup of wrath for his people, Israel. Everything familiar to them is going to be gone. There's going to be a destruction of their national identity. They're going to be a slave to their oppressor, Babylon. All that their hands had built, all that their parents' hands had built, all that their grandparents and their parents before them had built would be undone for 70 years. 70. 70 years. You're going to die before it's over, and your one-year-old is likely not going to make it. Right? Imagine someone coming up to you and, and telling you, yep, yep, I, I, a word from the Lord came to me last night. Um, 
COVID is going to last 70 more years. Unlike most viruses, it's not going to mutate into uh, a less lethal. It's going to mutate to more lethal. It's going to keep coming back in new rounds every year. And in the meantime, racism and inequality will escalate. But you can understand why Jeremiah was thrown in prison. Right? No one wants to hear that news. I certainly, by the way, am not saying, I don't know what's going to happen. But Jeremiah was saying, I know what's going to happen. 70 years of this. And so what does Israel need to hear right now? What they need is an honest hope, not just what they want to hear, not brushing over their sin or pretending like there's peace. What they need is a story that's stable. They need a future that they actually want to return to. They need to know that even also in their present suffering, something good is happening because of it. It also wouldn't hurt if God threw in some uplifting music in there, you know? So if, you, if you're there with me, Jeremiah 31 Let's look at verse 2. God says, the people who survived the sword. Or God says, Israel, I'm going to retell your story here. I'm going to give you your founding story. That's how we're going to begin. Okay, the people who survived the sword. Okay, who's the people? People is Israel. Where did they survive the sword? Well, in the nation of Egypt. They survived their oppressor, Egypt. God's saying, remember Israel? Remember, O nation, O people, I brought you out with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I changed water's relationship to gravity for a time so that you could walk through a sea on dry land. And then I collapsed it on the sword and the chariots of the Egyptians. Remember when there were hands too strong for you and I supernaturally stopped saying, okay, people who survived the sword, they found grace in the wilderness, right? Israel went out of Egypt, and then they went into the wilderness. And God's saying, look, you found grace there. I, I showered unmerited gifts for you. My presence was with you. You asked, where's the food? And I dropped it out of the sky. You said, I don't like that food very much. And boom, quail, right? Israel found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for Rest. They were looking, you were looking for a land to cultivate, a land to seek shalom, a land to rest in. This founding story where Israel was seeking for rest for 40 years in the wilderness is all of a sudden going to seem really similar to their future story that's coming imminently upon them where they're going to seek to return from Babylon to the land for 70 years. But as God is recounting this story, he continues saying, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Right, right here, God is recounting when Israel was camped at Mount Sinai for a year and God delivered a founding word for his founding story. Right, Israel is camped at Mount Sinai for a year and Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai really getting clear on the partnership that God's going to have with Israel, this covenant that's being made, showing his presence to Moses and the people of Israel led by Aaron below him on the mountain. When God is saying to Moses, you know, the, the, you, you shall worship the Lord alone. You know, no other gods before me. The, the people of Israel underneath, Aaron was actually collecting all the earrings and all the bracelets and he was collecting any sort of gold he could find to toss a golden calf together so that they would dance around that as a false god. See, Israel broke their partnership while it was being made. That's the founding story of Israel. 
And so when Moses goes down, he's really angry on behalf of the Lord, and God summons him back up. The Lord appears to him, and this is when he gives the founding word. The Lord appeared to him from far away and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the founding word. Israel, as you just were unfaithful to me, I will by no means forget iniquity, but my defining desire is love. Steadfast love. Jeremiah is retelling that story. He's saying, remember, remember Israel. Remember how you were founded. God said, I love you with an everlasting love. And remember when I said to you on the mountain that I love you with an everlasting love. What that means for you right now is it's still lasting. He says next, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Look, I was faithful to you when you worshipped a golden calf while I was giving you the covenant. If my love didn't stop for you then... It won't now while you're in exile for your sins. I love you. My everlasting love continues for you. Oh, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to walk with you. I love you. I love you. I love you. In fact, God is going to trip over himself for 26 verses here in Jeremiah, just showing, pouring out how much he loves his people. He's going to mix metaphor. And rhyme to show, I'm a father to you, Israel. You're my virgin. You're my bride. I'm your gathering shepherd. You're my dear son. You're my darling child. Right? One commentator actually points out something that's so cool. He says that in this whole passage, God is referring to Israel in both the masculine and the feminine. So in other words, God is saying he for Israel and God is saying she for the people of Israel. And why is it that God is doing that. That's, that's not normal. That's more unique to this passage. And the commentator notes that's because there are two primary ways God illustrates how he relates to his people. As a father to his son, masculine, and as a husband to his wife, feminine. God's saying, I love you like a dad loving his darling son. I love you like a husband loving his beautiful bride. That's what's just underneath the text of what he is saying. He's saying, I founded you in love and I am faithful to my love for you. It continues. And see, God's faithfulness in the past is prophetic hope for his faithfulness in the future. It's a people of God. God loves you. God loves you. And if God has chosen Israel a steadfast love founding story, how much more do we have a steadfast, everlasting love story of our founding in the church? How much more can we be certain of the love of God for us and the cross of Jesus? Look, God loves you. He's not ignoring your sin. He's not ignoring any places where God's could have been convicting you of complicity or ignoring any places where, where, where you have actually had a hard heart to him. He's actually taking that upon himself on the cross. He's taking that because he loves you and he wants to be with you. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. That joy 
That joy is you. God wants to be with you. God wants you back. It's just what he wants, and you can't stop him from wanting that. If he went to the cross for you then, he's not going to give up on you now. Right? You really think that Jesus, who died for you, will ignore you now in your suffering. God loves you. God just wants to bring you again to the foot of Calvary. Oh, would, you, would, you just, would you just take a minute and imagine that? Just imagine being at the foot of Calvary. Just sit there, right, right next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, right, right next to John. So you're looking at Jesus with his arms outstretched, with nails in his hand, with, with blood streaming down from the crown of thorns. Just imagine him looking at you when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Just imagine his eyes looking at you and saying, I love you. I love you. God loves you. God loves us. He loves us. He died for us. Oh, we can never, we can never get enough of the cross. We can, we can, we always can turn there. But what we see is God's everlasting love that was in the past continues and it produces a future. In verse 4, God says, Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Just as you came out of the wilderness, you're going to come back here again. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of merry, merry makers. Right here, Here's the music. Here's the clapping. Literally here, God throws it in. Right, Just as Miriam led a song and dance when you cross the Red Sea, again, you'll dance when you come out of exile. The happiness that will be away from you for decades will return. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. You're going to have great produce. You're going to enjoy the things I love to give you. And there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise and let us go to Zion, to the Lord our God. And there's going to be a day when, when those who are right now about to say destruction is coming, this army from the north is coming, when that's not what they're going to say in the hill country of Ephraim, they're going to call out, arise, let us go again to Jerusalem and worship. Right, behold, in verse 8, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. You're going to return as a shepherd. I'm going to gather you in again. But this time from the north, it's going to be a new army coming into this land. Not the Babylonians. It's going to be an army of the blind and the lame. The pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. A great company will return. And all of those who come in weakness and who come in hurt and who come in sorrow and pain are going to receive what we hear in verse 13. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Right, there's going to be a gladness trade. You're going to come back after 70 years and you're going to be humble. You're going to come back weeping and mourning for what has been lost. But I'm going to see you and you're going to give me a basket of your tears and of your pain and all that was lost. And I'm going to lift up your chin and give you a basket of gladness. I'm going to give you a basket of joy. I'm going to give you new names. 
All right, don't you see what's happening here? In all of the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been, uh, God has been, through Jeremiah, calling Israel names. For That's, that's probably the easiest way to pull it, put it, right? And here in this passage, God says, virgin Israel. He says, dear son, darling child. What he's been calling them is, you know, the opposite as opposite as you can be a, a virgin. And he's been calling him a wayward son. But he's saying, when, when you come to me for this gladness trade, I'm going to give you a new name. You're going to give to me your name of shame. And I'm going to call you my beloved, right? Instead of an adulterer, you're a virgin. Instead of a wandering child, you're a firstborn heir. Instead of exile, you have a home. And this is exactly what Jesus came proclaiming. What he came proclaiming is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That there's going to be a grand reversal. There'll be a gladness trade for those who come in lowly and humble. And there's going to be a sorrow trade for everyone who comes up lofty and mighty. Right? Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. In the kingdom of heaven to come, Jesus says, if you've been mourning now, there will be a day when you will be comforted. If you're called poor now, I'm going to give you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you're meek now, you're going to inherit the earth. Jesus goes all around to the people of Israel who are blind and lame and forgotten at that time. And he says, I'm going to reverse your fortunes. I'm going to give you a gladness trade, a new name. If you long for justice, if you're brokenhearted, if you can't be satisfied, one day I will satisfy you. And he says, I go to prepare that place for you. I go to prepare that kingdom where it is your home when all of your fortunes will be reversed. Amen? When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, it's our home that he's preparing. But I've always had the image of uh, my cross-country coach in, in high school. I ran cross-country. Whenever we had a home meet, my cross-country coach would actually put cones out, you know, showing where the course is, and he would follow those cones with a, a wheel and a, a spray paint wheel if that's what you call it, spray paint meal. And he would, uh, would follow and spray paint between the cones. And, you know, what we would do is we would follow after him and we would follow after that line. And we know that uh, if we followed that line that we would get to the destination after just horrible minutes of running. And whenever I think of Jesus preparing a place for me, I think what, what Jesus is saying is as I follow him, I know what the final destination is. I know what the finish line is. And following Jesus isn't like following a, a clear, straight line, although sometimes I wish it were that, that we know exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there. Following Jesus is actually just about following a person, of staying connected to the vine, of staying connected to Jesus. But what we know is if we stay connected to Jesus in this life, the final destination is the home that he's prepared for us. The final destination is actually seeing him face to face and having him reverse our fortunes and all of the sorrow and pain and tears that we have, giving him that in a basket and receiving from him the joy of life made right. Amen. But this passage, Jeremiah 31, shows everlasting love from the past. It continues, it produces a future. But Jeremiah is going to show that even in these 70 years, Israel, your pain is not purposeless. I don't know if you need to hear that right now. If you're suffering in any way, and I don't, may not know you and me, I have no idea where you're watching this from. 
Maybe the Lord would want to say to you that the suffering you're going through is not purposeless. I don't know why you're suffering. We, we don't know why this pandemic is happening. We don't know why this overdue racial reckoning is happening right now. But what we know is that God can use this suffering of this present world now because he loves us. What we see in verse 18 is that Israel changed during exile, right? God's prophesying before the exile happens, but he's saying, this is what will, will be said. You have disciplined me, God, and I was disciplined. Bring me back that I may be restored. And skipping a couple things here, but he's saying, after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed. I was confounded. I bore the disgrace of my youth. Okay, what is the exile producing? What will it produce in Israel? What it's going to produce is what gets them on the right side of the gladness trade. What it's going to produce is a taking away of their pride and a growing of their humility. Don't you want to be on the right side of the gladness trade? Don't you want to have a heart that's soft to God so that when you see him, he will lift you up? A calling on God's name for help. That's what will happen in the exile. People will recognize, I need help. I can't do this. I'm blind. I'm lame. I can't get myself out of this. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have you recognized, have you reckoned with the fact that you actually need help? That this world is not your home. That there, there's ways that you have been complicit and you haven't even known it. But notice, notice that they call on God's name after he has already said his love will continue. After he says, I'll give you a future. After he gives them grace, showing, yes, his discipline in exile to Israel softened their hearts, but it's his kindness that leads them to repentance. Why is it safe for us to be low? Why is it safe for us to be blind and lame and broken? Because we know God is kind to us. We know that he's going to give us gladness. We know that he's a father running after us. He's lifting up his robe and he's booking it for us because he loves us so much. He just wants to be with us. And when we know God, God just actually loves us. He wants to be with us. That we make him happy when we come to him and say, I don't, I don't have it together, God. I can't figure it out. I need you. That that's what he loves. Brokenness is the heart that God revives. Brokenness is what God desires for us. God has such a soft spot for a repentant heart. So brothers and sisters, just... Where is God breaking you right now? It's all right to be sad. In fact, it's good to mourn. Blessed are you who mourn. It's actually all right to be reckoning with our faults, to be staring straight at, at, at the things that we have done that we're ashamed of. Because what we see through that is a father running after us in love, ready to embrace us. The call of a Christian is the call to walk in this present life with a limp, to call the walk in brokenness until we see Jesus face to face and he reverses our fortunes. You will see him face to face. I don't know why this pandemic happened now. I don't know why certain situations are happening in your life, but I know, I know this. I know God loves you. I know he really did die for you. I know he's really preparing a home for you. And I know he will use whatever situations you're in right now to break your dependence on yourself and to grow in you a need for him. He wants to satisfy you. And so, sisters and brothers, walk with a limp. 
receive his love. If you're here, though, and you wouldn't say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you actually may not know why you're here. You're just joining us online. I just want to let you know, I really believe God does love you. And there's nothing you've done that God can't reverse. I just invite you, wherever you are right now, to call upon God. Say, God, if you're real, God, if you're real, would you give me a future? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.